Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. There's a deja vu feeling to this year's wave of protests across the Arab world. It's not that this year saw the toppling of the leaders of Algeria and Sudan as a result of popular revolts, a harking back to the 2011 protests that overthrew the leaders of Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, and Yemen. It's that it's the protesters in Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, and Morocco, rather than illiberal or autocratic regimes, that have learned the lessons of 2011. Had illiberal and autocratic leaders learned the lessons, they would not have been taken again by surprise by mass protests, often sparked by a black swan. Lessons learned would have meant putting their ear to the ground, hearing the groundswell of anger and frustration boiling at the surface over lack of economic opportunity and basic services, widespread corruption that benefits the few and complicates life for the many, and a clamoring for the ability to vent those grievances. Lessons learned would have meant addressing those concerns before it's too late and spills into the streets in massive votes of no confidence in the political and economic system and its leaders. It's a lesson that is valid beyond the Arab world, with similar protests, like in 2011, erupting across the globe in countries such as Hong Kong, Russia, Peru, Haiti, Ecuador, Indonesia, and worldwide climate change-related demonstrations. For their part, demonstrators in Algeria and Sudan concluded from the 2011 protests that toppling a leader was the beginning, not the end of the process. In Algeria, protesters remain in the streets six months after President Abdelaziz Bouteflika stepped down, battling the army for a political process that will guarantee structural change rather than enable an electoral process that ensures that the military and its aligned business interests remain the power behind the throne. Sudanese demonstrators surrendered the street only after agreement had been reached with the military on a three-year-long transition towards civilian rule. The Sudanese and Algerian experiences, like the lessons to be learned from the 2011 revolts, suggest that the playing field in the wake of the fall of an autocrat is striking a balance between protesters' demands for fundamental change and the determination of elites and the military to preserve their economic interests, some degree of control of security, and safeguards against being held accountable for past abuse. What demonstrators have going for them, beyond the power of the street, is the fact that popular discontent is not the only thing that mitigates against maintenance of the pre-protest status quo. Countries across the Middle East and North Africa, characterized by a youth bulge, can no longer evade economic reform that addresses widespread youth unemployment, 
the need to create large numbers of jobs and inevitable diversification and streamlining of bloated government bureaucracies. Algeria is a case in point. Foreign exchange reserves dropped from $193.6 billion in 2014 to $72 billion in 2019. Reserves cover 13 months of imports at best in a country that imports 70% of what it consumes. If the state can no longer deliver goods and services, socioeconomic discontent will rise further. In order to avoid such a situation, the state and its citizens will have to renegotiate their relationship. In the past, the state provided and Algerians abided. This is no longer economically feasible today, nor is it what Algerians appear to want as they seek more transparency, less corruption, and better governance of Algeria's resources, said Algeria scholar Dalia Ranim. Attention in the past years since the 2011 popular Arab revolts has focused on the consequences of the Saudi United Arab Emirates-led counter-revolution that brutally rolled back protesters' achievements in Egypt, contributed to the Iranian-backed military campaign of Houthi rebels in Yemen, and the devastating subsequent military intervention in that country, as well as civil wars in Syria and Libya. Yet, the past eight years have also been characterized by issues-oriented protests that often involve new, creative forms of expression of discontent. Iraq, Algeria, and Sudan, rather than Egypt, contain lessons for the future. Egypt's brutal field marshal turned President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi may have squashed recent protests with mass arrests and security force violence, but his conspiratorial depictions of a plot engineered by the repressed and weakened Muslim Brotherhood are unlikely to dampen widespread discontent with his failed economic policies that have benefited the elite and impoverished many. Mr. al-Sisi may have ended the protests for now, but continued refusal to address grievances makes Egypt an accident waiting to happen. The demography of protesters in Iraq proves the point. The protests could have been avoided had the Iraqi government focused on tackling corruption, ensuring the delivery of basic services, and creating jobs for university graduates and opportunities for those who returned from defeating the Islamic State to find that they were deprived of opportunities. One lesson of the protests in Iraq and Hong Kong is the fact that repressive government responses, the killing of more than 100 demonstrators in Iraq, or the banning of face masks in Hong Kong, fuel rather than calm public anger. Said Hong Kong pro-democracy lawmaker Fernando Chung, this is adding fuel to the fire. This will mark the beginning of riots in Hong Kong. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com.
Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care. Hmm. <laughs>